Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. And welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler. And I am here each and every week giving you tips and tricks on how to do uh, a good estate plan for your family. So I own the Seckler Law Firm, which is located in Cranberry Township, but we're serving families across Pennsylvania uh, with things like wills and trusts and powers of attorney. Uh, we do post-death administration work. If you've lost a loved one, we help you go through all those hoops. And then we also do what we call nursing home crisis planning, which is when somebody is in a nursing home and they're going through a bunch of money and they're trying to save money, what are the things that they're allowed to do to, to protect themselves? And so I do this radio show and a bunch of other educational events uh, in, in different settings around uh, the city here, uh, trying to let people know the things that I think you need to know in order to make an effective estate plan. Um, I believe the reason that people make a lot of mistakes in this area is because they don't take the time to become well-informed. I see people making mistakes. I know that people think rationally about these things and that you too will think rationally about these things. And if given enough information, you will make decisions that are in the best interest of your family. Uh, and my goal then is to give you that information, which is why we're doing this radio show um, and why we provide it in different formats and different, uh, different types of settings. <clears throat> and if anything I talk about in today's show you find interesting, I encourage you not to try to do this on your own, okay? This show is not to give you legal advice. This show is to give you general information. So don't make any legal or financial decisions based on what you hear on this or any other radio show. We're here just giving you some information. If you have a concern and would like to talk about this stuff in greater depth and how you know the subject matter we talk about on the show impacts your family, you need to reach out to us, and you can find us anytime at 724-546-4227. Again, that phone number is 724 724- Five four six four two two seven, or you can find a ton of information. I mean, a ton of information on secklerlawfirm.com. S e c h l e r lawfirm.com. There you'll find previous episodes. I think we're 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 getting real close to a hundred episodes of this show. Um, and you can find the old episodes. You can find old videos I've done. Lots of articles. Just trying to give you the information you need in order to make an effective estate plan decision. All right. In this episode. We are going to be talking about a thing that I get asked about a lot, and that is whether you should avoid probate. Probate. Um, people talk about avoiding probate. My guy says you should avoid probate. My guy says your guy's an idiot. You don't need to avoid probate. So what is this debate about probate? Why do people talk about it, and why do people decide to try to avoid it or not avoid it? And so what we're going to do is we're going to define what the heck it means. Then we're going to go through um, the reasons that are put forth as to why people should avoid probate. And then I'm going to go through the counterpoints about why people say that it's not that big of a deal to avoid probate. And then toward the end, I'm going to give you where I fall on this deal um, and, and a couple of things that I'd like to add to the conversation. Um, and so the question about avoiding probate. So probate by definition is the administration of a will through the courthouse. Now, probate, more broadly speaking, in general terms, is is how we describe the process by which people administer an estate through the courthouse. So whether you die with a will or not a will, a lot of people in sort of common parlance will say, 
avoid probate uh, or the uh, probate is the administration process. Um, and so what happens is if someone passes away, and let's say that the individual had a will, and that last will named um, the adult child as the executor. Well, then that child needs to be sworn in, the will presented for probate at the courthouse where the executor is going to be admitted to start serving as the legal representative of the estate, um, the executor. And that person's job is then to get together all the assets and make sure that we're doing the proper filings and the proper notices and putting the right things in the newspaper. Um, in this process of sort of following all these legal steps in the process of administering someone's assets after they've passed away is what is commonly referred to as probate. Now, commonly speaking, we can't do anything without the judge's permission, right? So there's some things that the judge sort of implicitly allows you to do. Then there's certain things that we may need to go back and ask the judge for their opinion on, or there may be some things that, um, you know, if there's challenges, we're back in the courthouse and all the rest. And so... It is common for lawyers, um, uh, financial advisors, and probably your neighbor over the fence to tell you that you should consider avoiding probate. So the most common reasons to avoid probate that are put forth are to save some time. Over 99% of executors hire a lawyer when there's actually an estate to administer. Uh, And so that means that the executor is spending estate assets to hire a lawyer to help through this process. Now, that's related to the second thing, which is time. Probate, at least in Pennsylvania, takes a long time. It's at least a year in most situations, um, if we want to do it correctly, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. But if we're in this process for at least a year and we've got a lawyer uh, hired for at least a year, we're probably paying for a while, right? So those two things are kind of related. Um, a second uh, or a third thing that's put forth, so you got the expense, you got the time, is the notion of privacy, right? So like most of us spend a lot of our lives doing our best to stay out of the courthouse. I don't want any legal trouble. I don't need the judge's help to manage my family's finances. I tend to keep my information private. So why would I want to file public records regarding my personal information Um, my family members, my net worth, why do I want that information to become public through court records when I pass away? And then a fourth, and I'll say, you know, uh, uh, maybe a little bit less uh, important, is just the inconvenience of the whole thing. You know, I was recently working with an executor, and we had to meet uh, down at the Allegheny County Courthouse to get the, the person sworn in. Um, and the executor had to fly in from Florida, um, which they were already unhappy about. So right now we got an expense for the plane ticket in the hotel room. They had to fly in from Florida, then they had to go down, they had to pay to park, and I don't know how you guys feel about going downtown Pittsburgh, but I know a lot of people um, who just simply don't want to go down there. Um, but then there's this headache, and i got to go there, and i got to stand in line, i got to deal with all of this, and I just, I just I don't want to do any of this stuff. Um, so there, there's a bit of the inconvenience, especially if there's kids out of town, um, different headaches, you know. And so um, those are sort of like some common um, reasons put forth as to why people should avoid probate. Now, one issue, going back to the expense thing, I want to clarify something here. The expense, the expense for probate fees, like the court fees themselves, really are not that expensive. 
um, the the expense really ties into legal fees or accounting fees or, or the different different professional services that you will retain that the executor will retain uh, in order to get the steps done in the correct order. So the expense is more fees with lawyers or accountants than it is with the courthouse themselves. And the second thing to understand in here is people sort of lump together mentally avoidance of the Pennsylvania inheritance tax with avoidance of probate. And avoiding probate, you should know, avoiding probate does not mean we avoid the inheritance tax. They are two different things. Uh, and so don't confuse the two. You might save some money avoiding probate in the in by way of legal fees and whatnot. But that really has nothing to do with whether we're saving money on the Pennsylvania death tax. So a lot of people will come in here and they'll have like a revocable living trust, which we're going to talk more about here shortly. Uh, and they think that they were avoiding probate, which they think that that meant that they were also avoiding Pennsylvania's death tax. And that's not the case. Revocable trusts are still subject to, um, to that death tax. Now, I want to add a- another reason why we may simply not want to be in the courthouse when you pass away. This is a personal anecdote. And it's an experience I recently had where the um, the person who passed away, we were administering someone's estate, and the person who passed away had uh, had left money to her grandchildren. Now, these grandchildren were, were young guys. They were little guys. They were, um, let's say they were under 15 years old, and some of them under five. Um, so she passed away, and she left some money to the grandkids. And frankly, relatively modest amounts of money, seven grand, ten grand, whatever the number was. Um, and I think that there was something like six or seven uh, grandkids that were included in this estate plan. And so we get the executor sworn in after grandma passes away, and we go through the process of notifying these minors and their parents and, and everybody that was entitled to an inheritance. And we did all the things, and we and, and eventually – we needed to go in front of the judge to propose a distribution of this estate. And anytime there's minors, we actually have to go through the whole uh, judicial approval of the distribution. Um, judges uh, tend to want to protect the interest of little guys so that the adults don't, don't take advantage of the little guys, which all makes sense. So we're presenting our notion of how this estate should be administered. We add up the money. We divide by the relevant percentages everybody's going to get, and we come up to this figure, call it seven grand, going to each of these grandchildren, and the rest were going to other people. And we, we said we had proposed putting the money for the youngsters into an account known as the Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account, which essentially would leave the parents in, in charge of the money uh, until the kids turned 21. Um, and the judge did not allow us to do that. Um, the judge shared that in his experience, whenever that occurs, by the time the kid reaches 18 or 21 years old, the money's gone. Um, that the parents take it or the, that the aunt or the uncle that was put in charge of the thing takes it. And the money's just gone. And the judge shared that he was tired of that situation. And so what he required us to do was put the money in a thing called a sequestered account. Now, with a sequestered account, now the the parents of the kids are not in charge. Now the judge is in charge, right? So if we actually want to get money out of the account, we have to get the judge's permission to distribute money on the kids' per, uh, behalf. 
And so when you think about all of this tied together, it's only seven grand. It's going into an account that now we need judicial authority to be able to access the money on behalf of the youngsters. And guess how much it costs in lawyers' fees just to get in front of the judge to present a petition to access some of the some of the seven thousand dollars. Like this this whole thing to me, at least I found this whole thing, this whole experience to be cumbersome and, and sort of silly and um and you know, but it's a good example of on occasion, um when when we're doing probate Ultimately, the judge is in control of this situation. The judge gets to determine what really happens. I, I like to think of the will as the deceased person's instructions to what they would like to see the judge do. But ultimately, the judge is looking at the will, and the judge is looking at the probate code, what they're required to do. And then the judge is also making decisions based on their own personal experience. And sometimes the the result is really not what grandma intended. Because I don't think – I think if we could go back in time to the experience I had – and said to grandma, hey, if you give your grandkids $7,000, the judge is going to take control of this money um, from the time your youngest grandchild is four until the time they're 21. Um, that judge isn't even going to be working anymore. And I, I think that grandma would have agreed that this entire thing is ludicrous and not what she wanted. And so I, I just want to add to this that sometimes when we're in the probate system, the judge gets a vote. And, and sometimes I've just seen, like this is one instance, but I've seen other times where it it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Now, I'm not the elected judge. I'm not the elected official. I'm sure this judge really did have the experience that, that he said that he had. But to me, I just kind of felt like, come on, it's 7000 bucks. But the judge is the judge, right? And so, all right, so, so these are all reasons, expense, time, privacy, inconvenience, and then sort of what I'll just call the judge gets a vote reason, why people talk about avoiding probate. So, okay, let's just say that we've decided we want to avoid probate. Now, I will tell you that there are petitioners, there are lawyers um, in Pennsylvania that will tell you that in Pennsylvania, um, you don't need to avoid probate. Um, And so the reason they're saying that is because, well, let's just get to a couple of different ways why or um, how you could avoid probate. Okay, so understand that probate only really applies to the assets that you own in your own name when you pass away. If the assets are jointly held, usually it goes to the joint owner. If it's joint with rights of survivorship, it goes to the joint owner. A lot of people also will put um, beneficiary designations on their significant financial accounts. So the asset is mine during my life, but I've told the bank or the financial institution where to send the money when I pass away. I've designated a beneficiary. So when I pass away, those assets are not subject to the terms of my will. This is contract law. I have contract with the financial institution. They're going to send the money wherever I told them to send the money in this in this agreement that we have. right? So those all assets avoid probate. Um, and then another way to avoid probate is rather than having the assets in your own name, you could have them in a trust. Okay. Now, let's talk about the pros and cons of all of these. If you have financial accounts, odds are, especially with retirement accounts, odds are that you have a beneficiary designation on that account to a human, um, some, someone in your family member, uh, your family, who's going to receive that money when you pass away, right? So a lot of people and a lot of financial advisors and banks will tell you to put beneficiary designations on your accounts. And the reason they're telling you to put beneficiary designations on the accounts is because they want you to avoid probate. They want the thing to be easy when you pass away. 
All right. But here's the challenge with beneficiary designations. Beneficiary designations only allow us to answer really one question. And that is, when I pass away, who gets it? Right. Um, and I suggest that there might be some things that you want to think about in addition to just who gets it when I pass away. Like, well, what happens if I leave it all to my spouse and my spouse is sick when I pass away? What if I'm her primary caregiver and when I pass away, she's going into the nursing home? Do I, do I really want to have all that money beneficiary designated to her outright? Aren't we just going to lose it to the nursing home? Or what happens if my son has died before me? And I haven't updated my beneficiary designations. Folks, do you really know what those contracts say with your financial institutions? Or what happens if I leave my money to my kid and he's disabled when I pass away? Or what happens if I leave the money to my kid and then six months after I leave the money to my kid, my kid gets sued or my kid goes through a divorce or, or passes away? If I leave my money to my kid and then my kid passes away six months later, is it going to her husband or is it going to my grandchildren? Because I'd much prefer going to my grandchildren. See, the, these what-ifs, what I call these these other tough questions, are really what we dive into when we're working with people in a state plan. You know, if, if your situation is equal shares to the kids, look, that's not a tough one for us to draft. But the tough part is what happens if any of these things are going on when they get the money? What happens if they're going through a divorce? What happens if they're disabled? What happens if they're sick? What happens if your wife is sick? What happens, what happens, what happens? And it's these, it's these what-ifs that really lead us to doing estate planning. We talk all about this in our upcoming estate planning workshop, which we have around uh, in our office and, and elsewhere around in the community. You can find out about these. If, if like something I'm saying to you has like triggered a, yeah, I need to go do something about this stuff. Um, you should come to one of our upcoming workshops. They're free. They're educational. I try to keep it light and funny. Um, we're just trying to get you the information you need to make good decisions. Uh, you can find out all about our upcoming workshops at secklerlawfirm.com. S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com, or give us a buzz, 724-546-4227. I'd invite you to come to one of our workshops and, and get the information you need. I usually do the workshops. There's another attorney that does the workshops from time to time. Um, but come come prepared with questions. We, we come prepared with answers. Uh, and if you come to the workshop, then we give you a free uh, consultation afterward to determine if, like, based on what you learned in the workshop and your goals, if it's a good fit for us to, to do some planning for you. Um, and, you know, one of the things you're going to learn when you're there is the danger that I perceive uh, in relying too heavily on beneficiary designations because you just simply don't get to plan for the real world. The real world involves disability. The real world involves premature death. The real world involves divorces. The real world involves nursing homes. The real world involves all of these stressful things. And I encourage you not to try to oversimplify your plan and avoid all of these things because it's these things that end up taking a family's money. It's these things that end up causing all the drama and the stress. It's not equal shares to the kids. That's the easy part. The hard part is if when they get the money there's something going on, have we done anything to protect our family from that something, right? Um, and so, you know, <clears throat> let's bring this back in context. So if you pass away and you own assets in your own name, those assets go through a will and they go through probate. Most of your financial advisors or banks have told you to avoid probate by putting a beneficiary designation on an account. But a beneficiary designation doesn't allow you to do this other important planning. 
which is why a lot of our clients decided to use trusts. Now, we do uh, a couple of different types of trusts in our, in our office. One type of trust is a thing called a revocable living trust. And the idea is, you know, you could think of a trust like you think of a company. So the name of my company is Secular Law Firm. It's its own legal entity, right? Uh, I'm in control of it, but it owns the microphone I'm speaking into and the computer I'm staring at, uh, the desk I'm sitting at. It it owns these things. And if you create a trust, it's kind of like that. So you kind of create this new legal agreement, this new legal entity, and then we make some of your assets subject to this agreement. You could think of it like changing ownership of the assets to the trust. Now, with a revocable trust, you're in control of your money for the rest of your life. Right? So you put the stuff in the trust, and life kind of goes back to normal. You, you're in control. You're what's called the trustee. You're the beneficiary. The money's for your benefit. Life goes back to normal. The, the difference is when you ultimately pass away, those assets are technically not in your own name, which means they're not subject to the will, which means you don't have to go through probate. So the, the revocable trust says upon your death, give this stuff to the kids in equal shares or whatever the distribution is so we get to avoid probate while answering those other important questions like what happens if someone's disabled, what happens if uh, creditors come after the money, et cetera, right? So we can do, we can do that other important planning. <clears throat> now, here's the pushback on revocable living trusts is when you pass away, revocable living trusts are still, still subject to creditors' claims and it can still take a while to administer and you still have to have a lawyer. My opinion is the legal fees aren't going to be what they're going to be in a courthouse. So you stay, you save some money, but you don't avoid all of the headaches of probate. You avoid some of the headaches of probate. Um, but the biggest problem that I see with a revocable living trust is that revocable living trusts don't protect assets from the real threat in the real threat, at least it seems to me, is what happens if I get really, really sick before I pass away. Revocable living trusts don't do anything to protect assets. So if we want to avoid probate, if we want to do the good planning, my opinion is you ought to also take a look and give some consideration to an asset protection trust, which is a trust that is designed to, one, avoid probate, two, answer the other important questions that we talked about, um, and three, they protect assets from things like long-term care expenses. All right, You go through the process of setting up the trust. We put certain assets into the trust. And that means sometime later, the nursing home cannot get to those assets anymore. So it's got the benefits of the revocable living trust. Most of the, most of the thing is the same, except with an asset protection trust, we change the way that we write this document. And now we're protecting assets from the nursing home. And so I personally, getting back to sort of the, the subject matter of today's talk, is should you avoid probate? I can't answer that question for you. I might suggest that all else being equal, I'd rather avoid probate than go through probate, okay? Um, is probate the end of the world? No. But the problem is most families are going to take steps to avoid probate by using beneficiary designations. Because that's what your financial folks are going to do. And if you run all the money via beneficiary designations, then you don't get to answer those other important questions. And so then in my mind, we don't have an effective estate plan. So what I know about people that use wills is they're still sending most of their money through beneficiary designations. And that's generally could be a mistake if something's going on. And so I prefer to use trust because we get to avoid the probate and do the more comprehensive planning. 
And if we're looking at trusts as between revocable trust and asset protection trust, I tend to think asset protection trusts are a better tool because we get most of the benefits of the revocable living trust while protecting assets from the real financial threat that most families face, and that is nursing home asset protection. And so that's kind of my take on this. All else being equal, I want to avoid probate. Now, there are a couple of circumstances. I'm just going to do a couple of real quick hitters where I think the answer to the question is, yes, you want to avoid probate. And that is, if you have out-of-state real estate, you want to avoid probate because otherwise we're going to do probate in two states. We're going to do probate in Pennsylvania and in that state where your out-of-state real estate is. So that's a great call to do a trust. The second is, uh, if we have some sort of trust-based distribution concerns, like a disabled child or grandchild, if we have a child with spending habit problems or addiction problems, you probably want to take a look at a revocable living trust. Oftentimes, I find that in the circumstances of second marriages, split families, revocable living trusts are a handy tool and you ought to give consideration. Um, a fourth time that you it's almost always yes, you want to avoid probate is if your kids are fighting or if your kids and stepkids are fighting, we probably want to keep that a private matter and try to handle it the best we can without the need for a judge. Okay, So those are circumstances in which I would say if these pop up in your world, you probably do want to avoid probate. Um, or if your kid, who's going to be the executor, is out of state, you probably want to avoid probate. The best way, in my opinion, to avoid probate is to use a trust, and the best trust in most families tends to be the Asset Protection Trust. And there you have it. That's how I think about this stuff. If you want to learn more, come to one of our workshops. It's really hard for me to give you, like, the whole snapshot of this thing in a half-an-hour radio show. So you come to the Asset Protection Workshop we talk about wills in depth. We talk about trusts in depth. You ask all the questions you want. We'll get you the information you need to make good decisions. You can find out about our workshops at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com, or give us a call at 724-546-4227. I appreciate you listening this week, um, and we'll see you again next week. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.